0: Well, I really do want to thank you for your invitation uh, here. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks to Rob and Karen for their superb hospitality and uh, for, for you as well, for your patience. Uh, I just really thoroughly enjoyed uh, after uh, church this morning, just talking to so many of you and uh, just connecting with you. And uh, I said to a few folks, you're, you're an easy congregation to preach to. Uh, because I can tell that what you want is to hear the Word of God, and that's a good, good sign. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're looking together at verses 16 to 23. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. And if you're new to church, let me say to you that God's Word um, is, all, is like, a, it's like an ocean. You can paddle in it, or you can deep dive into it, and this is one of the deep dives So try and stay with me, if you would, as we go through and try to uh, understand this part of of God's inspired Word. Chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but this substance belongs to Christ let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why? the flesh. The story of the Colossi churches, I'm sure you've been told already, is really a joyful and an exciting one. Around the early part of the AD 50s, the Apostle Paul was ministering in Ephesus, and as he was ministering in Ephesus, two—perhaps more, but certainly two—men that we know of. Seem to have connected with him in Ephesus. Uh, these two men were Epaphras and Philemon. Philemon uh, he has a book titled After Himself. And what seems to have happened is that they came within the orbit of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul's ministry, and they heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they responded to that. They returned to uh, Colossae, began to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were converted, and the church began to grow. And because Philemon was a wealthy man, it seems as though he had a big house. So the church started to meet, we think, in the house of Philemon. At that time, there was a great gospel expansion. Uh, Epaphras was used of God, amongst others, I'm sure, uh, to plant churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. So it is a joyful, joyful book. And and Paul begins writing what he does here with that sense of joy. There is a sense of joy in them that he has. Thankful for their partnership in the gospel and what God has been doing in them. There is a joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the early parts of Colossians are some of the high peaks of Christology in the New Testament, where Jesus is spoken of in truly exalted terms. But there was also, we think, a problem going on. We don't know the extent of that problem, but what we think happened was that either Paul had heard this from somewhere else, or Paul had heard this directly from Epaphras, because about seven or eight years later, Paul is in prison in Rome, or at least under house arrest. And he gets a visit from Epaphras, who is actually arrested, we think, for preaching the gospel as well. And they come together. And no doubt, they started to talk about what was happening in Colossae. And of course, Paul is overjoyed at the news of Colossae, their growth in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, news comes through that there may be danger ahead. That there are some false teachers entering into the church and beginning to teach in a way that would not resonate with the message of the apostles. And Paul was a man with his finger on the pulse. And Paul knew when it was right to be silent and when it was right to speak. Now, the book of Colossians has a very, very different feel to the book of Galatians, in the book of Galatians, Paul goes in really hard. You foolish Galatians. I can't believe what you're doing and thinking. But that's not the tone of Colossae, which makes us think that the problem was limited, but that there was a very clear and present danger. Well, what was going on? Well, it seems that there was syncretism a joining of different ideas and religious thoughts. Jewish legalism. Do this, don't do that. Mixed with pagan mysticism. Jewish folk religion was a thing at that time. In fact, they found amulets around that time with the names of angels on them to ward off evil spirits. So there was stuff going on that was not gospel stuff. And those propounding this teaching were shaman-like figures. Very authoritarian, very proud And they sought superior worship like that of the angels, we think. Because, frankly, and it's true today as well, that there are some for whom the church is not a fellowship to join, but an opportunity to exploit, and that's why we need to support our elders and invest in good leadership in the church. Colossia itself was a center for pagan worship. The cult of Cybele involved ecstatic speech and sacrifices and pagan practices designed to placate the astral powers. And so Colossae itself was that kind of place. Now, we don't have the cult of Cybele surrounding us, but there are powers at work. We don't have the cult of Sibel around us, but we have dark forces. What are we to do? Well, we are to keep our heads screwed on and above all to remember what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is far superior. Paul speaks because it is time for him to speak. I had a story recently about a little girl who was taken to her father's office on a take your child to work day. And as she went in, she was looking around inquisitively, and then for no apparent reason, she burst into tears and was immediately surrounded by her father's colleagues. Her father came up to her and said, "'Darling, what's wrong?' To which the wee girl said, "'Daddy, I'm just looking for all the clowns "'that you said you worked with.'" "'Get out of that one.'" There were no clowns in Colossae, so far as we know. But there were some people who were wearing more than grease paint. A veneer of orthodoxy. Proud pseudo-intellectual elitists teaching a toxic mixture of false doctrine. And so here we find a precious fellowship of God's people. In danger from this Jewish mystical legalism and folk religion, this pseudo intellectual hocus pocus. So, what does Paul do? What does Paul do? He gives them 100% Jesus. That's what he does. 100% revelational Jesus, 100% apostolic Jesus, citing his nature, his headship, and his saving work. Paul speaks of Jesus' substance, verses 16 to 17. He says that the law, and when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the Sinaitic law, the law that was given to Moses. And he's saying to them that the law was perfect in its purpose, but it was a type and shadow of the one who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. The law, he says, is a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Secondly, he talks about Jesus' status, verses 18 and 19. That Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Which headship brings health to the body? This isn't your church Central Baptist indeed isn't my church, it is Christ's church of which he is Lord and head then he speaks about Jesus saving work, verses 20 to 23 their saviour who died and in whom they died to the elemental things these things that once held them in Colossae no longer hold them Jesus holds them they don't need that stuff anymore. They have Jesus. And for us today, facing what we do, and we'll think about the challenges of our culture, we do not need the Jesus of our imagination. We need the Jesus of revelation. And that is what is presented to the Colossian believers. Colossae was a good news story. And Paul gives thanks as he writes. If we, if we look at the precursor in chapter 2, verses 16 to, 6 to 15... He tells the Colossians that in Christ dwells the fullness of God, verse 9, that there is none higher than him. Secondly, that in him they have been filled, being previously empty, verse 10. That Jesus is the head, again, verse 10, and the source of all rule and authority. In other words, the claims that Paul is making here cannot be bested, cannot be bettered. In in Him they have been circumcised, verse 11, in the cutting away of their sinful nature. They are now in union with Jesus Christ, verse 12, a union that has been expressed in their baptism into Him. They had come to know the power of God working in them, bringing them, verse 12, from death to life. In Christ, knowing forgiveness of sin, their sin that had been nailed to the cross, and they had come to be living, breathing examples of the triumph, verse 15, of the Lord Jesus Christ over all rulers, authorities, or elemental things. And it leaves us asking the question, what need they of more? What need they of more, for they have Jesus. Jesus is the best news this world has ever heard a full and sufficient saviour. Jesus is enough. But we think that Epaphras may have shared with Paul that there was a growing appetite for more by some in the church at Colossae and perhaps in other churches too where this letter would be circulated. But more of what? That's the question. And that's the question that people have won PhDs in the back of and I don't intend to tonight. Well, first of all, there seems to be a suboptimal, to say the least, view of worship. An emphasis not upon the exaltedness of Christ, but an emphasis upon experience, and we see that in the church today, don't we? Got to feel a buzz. A move away from the completeness of the work of Christ to a legalistic and ascetic view. Keeping the law and beating the body and being miserable. Attracting back to those elemental things that should have been viewed only in their rear view mirror. Rather than reveling in the joy of their salvation, some were tempted to return to those, what Paul calls base elemental things or elemental spirits. Verse 8 and verse 20. Actually, in the original Greek, the Koine Greek, it doesn't say spirits, but the translators want you to understand something when you read this. They want you to understand that what they're dealing with here are not just ideas. They're they're not just principles, but actual powers. Hinting at those dark things that come in to confuse the church of Jesus Christ. First of all, look at verses 16 and 17. The substance of Christ and again, I want to say to you, this is what we're doing here. We're just following, tracking what Paul says to this potentially confused church. He says to them, with a great sense of freedom, therefore, let no one, all the things we are talking about before, in verses 6 to 15, he's like, said all that. This is who Jesus is. And now he says to them, therefore, since this is who Jesus is, Christ, overall, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. It seems that these false teachers were insisting that Christians had to keep the kosher rules and festivals of Israel. Now, it's important for me to say that Paul is not, he's not, he's not advocating what is called antinomianism. Antinomianism is not being against we people. It's anti-law. Nobody got that one. That's a bit of disappointing. He's saying to them, you don't need those things anymore. Christ has fulfilled the law. As New Covenant believers, we love the law of God like The psalmist David, we say the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, Psalm 19. Jesus did not cancel the law, he fulfilled it. Because we could not. The law was our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. And so the question for these false teachers and those tempted is therefore, why would you want to go back there? Why would you want to go back to those base, elemental things of the past? And Paul tells them very, very clearly don't go back there. Don't do that. Why would you want to go back there? The law is a shadow, Christ is a substance. These men are like drivers on a motorway slamming on the brakes and going into reverse. It can only end in pain. They are making the believers in Colossae feel inadequate. Have you ever encountered someone that makes you feel like that spiritually, as though they're super spiritual? Be very, very careful. They're making the believers feel inadequate by seeking to add to that which is perfection, the gospel itself. The gospel is perfect mercy and justice perfectly met upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, a perfect sacrifice. And we think that some of the teaching of these dudes is really, I need a bit more. That these acts of the law could appease mystical powers when the Bible teaches that Jesus is our propitiation. He is the one under whom we shelter. He turns away the wrath of God. So there is something about our sinful hearts that cannot let this works-based thing go. It's something that's woven into world religions. But there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Romans 14, Paul writes, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There was New Testament liberty for Jewish believers, but these men were making the law the thing again instead of Jesus Adding some dubious elemental content and undermining the gospel of salvation by grace through faith and not of works. Paul loved the law, and we ought to love the law. The law itself is an expression of the nature of God. What's not to love? But the law is a shadow, a type and a shadow in comparison to Christ, the substance. We love the law, for in it we find Jesus, that we might have faith in him. Paul is saying, don't go back to the shadow lands. Keep the faith. Keep moving forward. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He is the embodied fulfillment of the law. And secondly, he talks about the status of Christ. Verses 18 to 19. The status of Christ as head of the church. You see, what was happening here was that these men were claiming an authority that was not theirs to claim. And so they were dragging the church down and people were beginning to look at these flashy guys strutting their stuff and looking cool and all the rest of it. And so what Paul is doing is he's reorientating the view of the believers there to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let no one disqualify disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism. Punishing yourself for gain. And worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. Puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head, says Paul. For whom the whole body nourished and knit together. Through its joints and ligaments. Grows with a growth that is from God. You see... You know that old song, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But very often when error is introduced into the church, it is with a spoonful of sugar. And there are elements of truth in what they're saying. There is to be discipline in the Christian life. There is to be a desire for holiness and to please God. But in their kind of ascetic way of looking at things, that's not what it was about. It was about them doing something in order to achieve. Promoting asceticism, not discipline, the worship of angels or perhaps angelic worship. It's either idolatry or it's an overemphasis on experience. We want to worship like angels do, but you're humans. So you're called to worship like humans do. Visions, well, there's a bit of a red flag there. Very often, those who are false teachers will claim visions and special revelation. And what they're doing is they're claiming that authority for themselves. Proud. Proud. sensuous minds. The mood music isn't good, is it? And so when we find someone, some Christian leader somewhere claiming something, we look at their lives and we ask how accountable they are and we ask how apostolic they are in their teaching and we hold them to account. Paul diagnoses the problem. This man or these men are not holding to the head, which is Christ. Their authority is personal, subjective, in visions, not apostolic. Their manner is arrogant. They are intimidating and undermining. And again, that's something that you find in false teachers. And never mind your leaders, follow me. That's old hat. This is new. This is a new revelation. This is a silver bullet here. No, no, no. They are not true shepherds of the flock. And Paul counters by saying Christ is the head. With all rule and authority, what need they of anyone else? If their sense of security rises or falls on a leader, no matter how sparkly and charismatic they are, there will be trouble ahead. Our eyes are to be upon Jesus. Displays of asceticism, false humility, exalted worship are to be weighed by the family of faith. No matter how sparkly the show. And you know, that's a lesson for our generation, isn't it? Social media is not the best way to assess a teacher or a church. You need to be in a church with a teacher or teachers. And you need need to be looking at their lives, not just what they say, but what they do. And that's why COVID times were so dangerous. Because so many believers were surfing the net and finding stuff happened in Central. We had to chase some people, work with some people, who found something better than Central Baptist, the church that they were connected with. These are the dangers of our day. There is nothing, nothing to compare with the local gathering of God's people. And then lastly, saving work of Christ. Verses 20 to 23. Paul says to them, if with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of this world, those dark forces that seek to influence. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to their regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's what they're saying. The good things that God has given, even the good things that God has given, they're saying, oh, no, 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 no. You've got to give that up. You know, dead people don't pay tax, do they? Their remaining family might have to settle up, but they don't because they're dead. Paul teaches that Christians are united to the degree that they are dead to the world. And that's what he's saying to the Colossian believers. You do not need to bother about this stuff because Christ has died, and in him, you have died to the elemental things of this world. So why would you want to dabble in them? Christ frees us from these things. Christ frees us from fear. Christ is terrible grammar, but so supreme. And such a savior that we need not worry about legalistic practices or superstitious angelic stuff or ascetic acts or stars or planets aligning. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is all. So chill out because Jesus has got it. is Lord. These rules, says Paul, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. He's saying ultimately this stuff doesn't work. Such regulations, he says, verse 23, indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They have that spoonful of sugar, but they don't ultimately hold their value. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body is there, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. We have the word and we have the spirit. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you? You maybe feel as though you have to shift a bit of weight, and so you, you discipline yourself and you, you don't eat any potatoes for a month, and yeah, you're feeling a bit better, and You're thinking, yeah, yeah, this one's not so bad. But then, I'm talking about guys here, not women. But I'm talking about guys. And you stand in front of the mirror and you think, ah, yeah. Still got it, you know. What's happened? You've disciplined yourself, but you've fallen into pride. That's what Paul is saying. These things on their own are of no value eternally. But we have the Word of God and we have the Spirit of God to help us. God's people are at their best when looking to Jesus. You know, I was studying this and just the image came into my mind of of the church in Colossae gathered in the house of Philemon as this letter is read. And there they are, the family of God in Colossae, Safe under the ministry of the apostolic word. You know, you come here Sunday after Sunday. Do you realize what you have in a church like this? Where you can be confident that when you come here, that what you'll hear is God's word written, preached. Not everyone has that privilege. You have value it, value it. There they are, safe under the ministry of Paul's apostolic words. And of the false teachers, Paul writes, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Contra the false leaders and teachers, Paul says that Christ The source of the church's nourishment, not them. That Christ is the source of the church's unity, not them. And that through him that is Christ, the church grows and grows, in Paul's words, with a growth that is of God. In other words, keep to the word, keep to the word, recognize the authority of Scripture. And the need to keep that front and center because that brings us to the Jesus, not of imagination, but of revelation. The magnetic north of gospel fellowship is not some showboating preacher, but a Savior whose sacrifice has made them what they are. I imagine them there in the house of Philemon, in his big house, but he's using it for the glory of God. And they are safe and they're secure under Philemon's roof, but more importantly, they are safe and secure under the Word of God. Post-pandemic, pajama, YouTube, worship is no substitute for the fellowship of the saints. We need to be under the ministry of the Word brought by those men that God has graciously given us to shepherd us as together we look to Jesus. Do we love the word of God? Do we cherish the elders who bring that word of God to us? Do we weigh teaching with godly wisdom, seeing that in all things Christ is supreme? That was the call for the church in Colossae, in danger from these false teachers. Paul writes to them of Christ's substance. Leave the shadows, he says. Jesus is the substance. He talks about Jesus' status as the head. Is he the head to whom we truly and consistently look? Or are our eyes diverted? And Jesus' saving work, verses 20 to 23, their Savior who died and in whom they also died. Those elemental things of the world. And today, what do we have? We have Jesus. The Jesus, not of imagination, but the Jesus of revelation. And that brings me to the question that Will asked me earlier on. But what is what is the thing here in Colossians 2? Well. I had some, I had some noodles recently, okay, they were called kabutu noodles, 263 calories, no artificial ingredients, 100% recyclable tub, okay, and after I poured in my hot water, I was waiting the four minutes for the boiling water to, you know, noodle my noodles, And as I was waiting, I was looking at the side of the tub. And on the side of the tub of the cabito noodles was a proverb. And here is the proverb. It said, A whole army may be robbed of its spirit if it is robbed of its noodles. Now, you can say what you like. You don't get that kind of profundity on a pot noodle. That's for sure. Why this illustration? Because some of you are looking at me to say, as if to say, it was, it was never this bad pre COVID. Something's happened to this guy. Why this illustration? Because the battle is always won for the authority of God's word. That's why. If we are robbed, not of noodles, <laughs> but of an acknowledgement of the authority of God's word, the authority of Scripture. We are robbed of everything. Genesis 3, the battle began. Did God really say? Said the serpent. And the key for Colossae and for us is who will we listen to? The voice of Christ through his word or the revisionists. Those in our culture who today are saying, well, that was then, but this is now. The apostles and Jesus were men of their day, but we know better for our day. When they set the trajectory, we decide where the arrows land. It's the voice of the elemental things. We have Christ. He is our authority, not them. What are we seeing in our culture? Well, the threats are there. We see a rise in secularism. And in some parts of secularism, the most absurd thought that they can exclude God from the public space. What idiocy. We live in a pervasive culture. Did you remember the days when the World Cup was about football? Do you remember those days? These were good days. We are witnessing a growth in strange things. I was over in Belfast in January. I had some sabbatical time. And where else do you want to come but Belfast? You've got some sabbatical time. And after I have something to eat, I went around, just a walk around Belfast City Centre, and I came across a street preacher. And brothers and sisters, I'd never in Scotland, seen anything like it. He was surrounded by people organized to shout him down. And also at that time, there was a woman who was dressed very strangely, who was doing very, very strange things. I was shaken by it. (laughs) And I listened to this preacher, and he seemed very, very sound to me. He was preaching the gospel, but there was weird stuff going on around him. And I shook his hand at the end, and I said, You keep going, brother. We're living in weird days. And we're seeing a rise in strange mystical stuff in Scotland, and I'm sure you're seeing it here. It's demonic. What should we do? What do we do as Christians in days like these? What do we do? Well, this is what we do. We recognize that we cannot control what is out there. But we can focus on what is in here. We can stay true to God's words written in the days in which we live. We can continue to faithfully point to the Bible the apostolic authority of Scripture revealed by the Holy Spirit, pointing to what we've been talking about tonight. The substance, the status, and the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. He died in our place that we could be freed from our sin, that we could have eternal life, that we could leave behind these elemental things. See, the gospel is not something that we start with and move on from. We need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another. Because, my dear friends, every now and then the circus comes to town with ideas of the silver bullet for spiritual success. And in those days we are to be confident in the apostolic word. Shall we pray? Father God, we don't stand with any sense of pride. Why should we? Because this is all about Jesus and His word. And I pray for anyone tonight who is tempted to turn to turn back to those elemental things that believers are to leave behind. I pray for the Crescent Church. I pray for all Jesus-loving gospel-preaching churches in Belfast, that they would see encouragement and growth in these days to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.